somebody on the sidewalk, carjacking old lady at a red light, pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store, you think it's cool, act a fool if you like, cause out a cop, spit in his face, scope on the flag and light it up, yeah, you think it's tough, well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here we take... Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Jerry Trupiano. This is On the Record with Jerry Trupiano, episode 359 on our network. We want to just thank two people before we bring Jerry on and welcome our special guest here today. Uh, first, our audience, 60,000 subscribers. We're closing in on that number. Hope to hit it before Turkey Day. We appreciate your support. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Give this episode five stars and write some nice comments underneath it. We do battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like they do in Major League Baseball. So every little bit helps. We appreciate that support. Help get us onto iHeartRadio's very powerful podcast network all because of you. So continue to do that for us. Stream it wherever you want, but make sure you follow those instructions for us, and we'll keep rolling with these great shows every week, 10 a week for you. Second person to thank, second group to thank, Blackout Coffee, our first friend in the sponsorship world that we took in. Be Awake, Not Woke is their slogan there. If you At checkout, if you type in David, all capital letters, followed by the number 20, you'll get 20% at checkout. And then from that day forward, you'll get 15% in perpetuity. We love friends that love coffee. They love baseball and sports. And certainly we love friends that want to give us discounts, Jerry. So Jerry, welcome back to your show. Happy Thanksgiving early to you. I'm glad you could do a show this week. I think it'll carry us right into the holiday. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you. And always a pleasure to uh, hear your dulcet tones and always uh, fun to talk sports. And about this time of year, college football, obviously well, well into its season and got rivalry games coming up. So we're going to talk today with uh, Bill Bender, the college football correspondent for the Sporting News. And Bill, you can find him at BillBender92 on X. That used to be Twitter, you know. And uh, he's a graduate of Ohio University. He's a Bobcat. But we're going to talk at the start here about number two, Ohio State, at number three, Michigan, one of the big rivalries in college football. And Bill, thanks for joining us. And I, I guess there's some interest in that game, huh? Yes, there really is. I mean, for the second straight season, they're both 11-0. Everybody knows that. But the added layer of what's gone on at Michigan for the past month with Jim Harbaugh and an in-person scouting scandal and a sign-stealing scandal. And, you know, you're the baseball guy, so it has been compared to the Astros and those kind of things. And it's added to the enough heat. And I grew up in central Ohio and have family on both sides of this thing. So it it definitely has added a ton of heat. It should be fun on Saturday. This is one of the few rivalries that belongs in the same sentence as Red Sox-Yankees and the Packers-Bears, those kind of classic rivalries. And with good reason, anybody that's been to this game, and I've been to a bunch of them, there's nothing quite like it on a college football stage other than maybe Army-Navy. I talked to some folks last week look, looking ahead and and you come highly recommended talking about college football. We appreciate the time. And they were saying that go all the way back to the Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler days when they were involved in this rivalry, that this year may be the most intense since that time. Would you agree or disagree? The heat will feel like it did 
in the 10 year war. And I grew up a little after that, but my father would tell me stories about Bo Schimbeckler and Woody Hayes. And there was the 10 to 10 game in 1973 that there are still fans that have a grudge 50 years later about. And they inflamed this rivalry to unprecedented heights until this year. Because there's a couple colliding storylines here. Number one, Ohio State hasn't lost three straight to Michigan since 1995 to 97. And for them, that's a big losing streak now. And for Michigan with Jim Harbaugh and, like I said, all this drama around the sign stealing and the allegations and his future and whether or not he's going to be the Raiders coach next year. The best way I can describe this rivalry to people and to kind of put it in Yankees Red Sox context is how I would do it is, If you grew up around it, all you have to say is Anthony Gonzalez, and I'll say made the big catch in 2005. Or if you say Shimunga Biakabatuka, I'll say 313 yards. We know all the stats, all the rivalry games, everything that's gone on with this thing. And Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day over the last two years, because they both made the playoff, they have taken it to the, I wouldn't say it's bigger than Woody and Bo, but it's the closest thing. I would agree with that. Is there, other than the cloud of the Spygate thing, if you will, if we can borrow that term from the Patriots days, is there a cloud over Harbaugh? And if if he was not interested in the NFL, would he still be safe there? I think he would fit at the Raiders or or the Bears. But if he his... doesn't take if he doesn't take an NFL job, does he have any concern about staying in Michigan? I I mean they, I mean yeah, right. Michigan. No, that's, yeah, that's a fair question. And there there were reports that he could face a suspension next year. It sounds like the Big Ten investigation is over. But then you get into, will the NCAA drop the hammer? Remember, they haven't even ruled on the previous case where he started the season with a three-game suspension. And then he's going to serve another three-game suspension. Six games in one season, and this team has a very good chance to hold up a national championship trophy at the end of the year. It's unlike anything I've ever covered. I grew up a little after Watergate, but this feels like the college football version of that. Over the last four month, or four weeks, we've had stories ranging from a staffer on a sideline with a different school's colors on and sunglasses. Uh, we had Uncle T, the booster that contributed to this. We've had stories about computers being destroyed. It, I mean, am I off when saying this would be the version of that, that what happened in the 1970s? And until there's a smoking gun, Jim Harbaugh will be Michigan's coach. Yeah. Now, when they fired linebacker coach Chris Partridge, prior to that, they were Michigan was all ready to go to court and trying to keep Harbaugh on the sideline. And then all of a sudden, that lawsuit was dropped and they said, okay, Harbaugh, you're suspended, we'll accept with Tony Petiti, the commissioner of the Big Ten, hands down. What was the reason for that? I Well, whatever the Big Ten has that was enough that compelled Michigan to just drop it and and take whatever. And, and obviously with Chris Partridge leaving, that raises some red flags. It means this thing's probably going to go a little deeper. It probably means that Jim Harbaugh, I think he's trying to take this punishment so that the Big Ten wouldn't go any further, but the NCAA will. The only problem with the NCAA is that they take so long to adjudicate these things, right? Can The Kansas basketball case took forever, and as we pointed out 
to some people. You know, Bill Self was investigated, found to be a violation, suspended, won a national championship, got a raise. I don't think that the Jim Harbaugh will follow that same timeline, Jerry, but it's not out of the question when you're dealing with the NCAA. Uh, Two things. They are the most unpredictable governing body when it comes to punishing people. And Jim Harbaugh, in all my years at Sporting News, might be the most unpredictable football coach as far as behavior and what he's going to do next that I've ever seen. Neither team needs much of a a rallying cry getting ready for this game, obviously. But does does the Harbaugh situation add a little spice to those at Michigan? I think so. I think they've rallied around their interim coach, uh, Sharon Moore. He, the way that they beat Penn State, some people will say, well, why did they run the ball 32 straight times? It was almost a competitive form of disrespect. You can't stop us. We're going to run the ball, and we know you can't score. It was old school 1960s Big Ten headbanger football to its finest, and they did that to perfection. Now, last week, they ran into trouble because I think they were a little too conservative. But one thing Michigan has in their favor this year They've got some really outstanding team leaders. J.J. McCarthy, he'll be, I don't know if he's a first-round quarterback, Jerry, but he'll play in the league. Blake Corum came back to school, and you won't meet a better person than him. Michael Barrett, a linebacker, six-year player, leads that defense. They've got high-quality kids on that football team, and they'll be ready for this game. They have the confidence of knowing that they've beat Ohio State the last two years. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I think there was a Michigan quarterback who was not a first-round draft choice. I think he went in the sixth round, who, who turned out to have a pretty good career. He What's did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he. I think he did okay in New England. He. It, yeah, and you know, one of the interesting things about that connection with JJ McCarthy is when you watch him play, he's not Tom Brady, but he has this kind of cross. Like he, he's a little bit like Jim Harbaugh was as a player because he's mobile. He's got that moxie. He's a leader. At Big Ten Media Days, it drew a lot of, I guess, a collective eye roll when Jim Harbaugh compared J.J. McCarthy to Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. But he wasn't comparing the talent. He was comparing the intangibles, that these guys will follow this guy. At, you know, J.J. McCarthy's not going to win the Heisman because he's thrown the ball like 20 times the last two weeks. And he doesn't care. So I think that's what they have in their locker room. It's pretty magnificent to see. Before we move on from this game, okay, Harbaugh is suspended, but what what does that entail right now? What's he what's his status during the week? I know he can't be at the stadium uh, on Saturday. So what, what's his week like? Uh, bizarre press conferences. <laughs> I would start there. Uh, it be fun for you though. He's great for it. I mean, a lot of people will watch his press conferences and say, well, he was acting strange or he was doing this. And I'm like, no, that's just the way he acts. And there's a design to it. Um, So he'll be around the team during the week. He will not be on the sidelines Saturday. And I think for Ohio State, that adds an extra layer of pressure to some extent. Ryan Day, again, lost the last two. They have the best player at his position in the country. And Marvin Harrison Jr., he's ma- he's another magnificent player. He's amazing. And they have a really good defense. They haven't allowed more than 17 points in a game all season. So this is a big one for them to go up to Ann Arbor, try to win that game, try to get back to the college football playoff. If I, 
I may regret saying this later, but if you gave me the choice which one of those two teams would have a better chance of beating Georgia, I would probably pick Ohio State. The defense, the confidence that they had last year and knowing that they could run with this team for four quarters. You know, there's a lot of people around Columbus that say, had Marvin Harrison not been injured last year, they win the game. Now, they don't have C.J. Stroud, who is just taking the NFL by storm as a rookie, but they have a very loaded roster, a really good veteran defense. Um, Travion Henderson's added to the running game. And Kyle McCord, I mean, he went to Notre Dame. I was at that game earlier this year where Notre Dame was one yard away from beating Ohio State, but the poise they showed to pull out that victory kind of showed that they have the toughness necessary to go up to Ann Arbor and win. So so you have a, a lot of respect for the Ohio State defense if in, in a proposed matchup against number one Georgia, but who do you like this coming Saturday? I've been waffling on this pick all week. I've got Ohio State winning right now. And the reason why is if you've watched Michigan the last two weeks, they've run the football 77% of the time. And I think they're going to have to balance that out. You look at Ohio State over the last three weeks, since Travion Henderson returned, they're 50-50. They're balanced. Their defense is stopping people. Granted, this is against probably the weakest Big Ten I can remember outside of those two, and maybe Penn State. It's pretty weak after that. So when they hook up on the field, I think it literally could come down to a turnover or two, a big play or two. And it's kind of like the games I grew up with where it feels like 22 to 7, 21 and 7, 21 to 17 either way. So in that event, I'd probably go with Ohio State. I just think not having Jim Harbaugh on the sideline, people can say it's not a big deal. But I keep asking back, well, why do they pay these head coaches $9 million? Being part of the game day experience is huge. What's what's Ryan Day's week been been like? Is is his week heading into this. You hardly hear anybody talk about him. Well, you know, he has done a fantastic job of just keeping this team on course. And he took a lot of criticism last year after losing to Michigan for a second time. Uh, he's one and two. Michigan hasn't had a winning record against an Ohio State coach since the John Cooper years. And you do not want to be compared with John Cooper for as good of a coach as he was for the Buckeyes. Hugely successful. Um, brought Orlando Pace and Joey Galloway, and I can go on and on about the number of NFL players they produced. Eddie George, they finished 2-10-1 against Michigan over that 13-year period. And it was defined by these shocking losses to Michigan. You do not want to be in that sentence. Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer, totally dominated this rivalry for two decades. And there's that first time in 25 years where Michigan kind of took control. Now, the, by the means that's subject to debate, obviously they're getting in a little trouble. But if Michigan wins this game without Jim Harbaugh on the sideline, I think that would be devastating for the Buckeyes. Let's move on elsewhere in college football because it's been quite an interesting campaign. And I'm looking around my old stomping ground down in Texas College Station. What happened with Jimbo Fisher besides not winning? That's a great question. You know, I mean, obviously the top 10 record, it was five and 10. Somebody told me that they said Jimbo was five and 10 against top 10 teams. I thought it was worse. You know, you would assume that with the money that they paid him and uh, 
talent that they had. I think one thing, if I was being fair to Jimbo, four times they had a quarterback suffer a season-ending injury. And that's the most important position in college. You have to have a quarterback that can you know, dominate a game, especially in the SEC. Connor Wigman goes down this year. He was a five-star quarterback. They've had the talent. They've had a lot of moments. They beat Alabama. They beat LSU. They showed they could compete in the SEC West any given week, but it wasn't every given week. And I think the problem is, you know, obviously Texas and Oklahoma are coming into the SEC, and that is going to paint the Texas A&M program a little more differently, right? You're not competing with LSU. Now you're competing with your old rivals, and those old rivals are going to get a lot of attention when they come into the Big 12. I wonder if the success that the Longhorns have had this year had any impact on the folks at A&M pulling the trigger as they've done with Fisher. I think you're exactly right. So that makes me wonder what they're going to do next. If you're willing to let a coach walk for $75 million buyout, I'll take one of those, by the way. Yeah, any Somebody, day you, <laughs> I'll take that and sit on my couch for a while and enjoy life. But I think they need to make a make sense hire. And a make sense hire to me is Jeff Trailer, UTSA coach. They're in the hunt for the American Athletic Conference Championship. Their offense is fun. He's connected all around that state to all the high schools. And as you know, if you want to be successful in Texas, you better have good high school recruits. So that's who I would hire. So knowing that, they're probably going to go make a splash to get some attention. And you know that rivalry better than me. I always tell people, Ohio State, Michigan's huge. Don't get me wrong. But you will not find two fan bases that dislike each other more than Texas and Texas A&M. I, I, I've yet to find an answer. Yeah, it, it, it can be pretty nasty. You, you mentioned the buyout that Fisher is getting from, from the Aggies. Does that raise any red flags anywhere? Does that, does that have a ripple effect on this sport at all? Yes, and I think it raises some serious questions about coaches' salaries. I spoke with Amy Perko of the Knight Commission last year about that, and she was terribly concerned because it would show a fundamental flaw in the economic system that we're in. And one, you could argue this both ways. You could say, well, Nick Saban's the most important employee in the state of Alabama, and you'd probably be right. But you're also paying a coach $70 million to walk away and not coach. And the previous highest buyout was $20 million for Gus Malzahn at Auburn. That's absurd. And you're also living in a new age of college football where name, image, and likeness has become a thing. Not just a thing. I mean, you're paying athletes and you're going to make more money when the 12-team playoff starts. So I think, yeah, it's a little bit irresponsible, honestly, to to pay a coach $70 million to walk away instead of trying to find ways to make it work. Speaking of coaches, one of the great stories at at the start of the college football campaign was uh, Deion Sanders and and Colorado. But it's it's been a different story lately, hasn't it? Well, the first month of the season was maybe unlike anything I've seen. It was incredible the amount that he drove to the sport, the casual fan that would sit and watch Colorado play Nebraska, that would watch Colorado play TCU. There were people that stayed up late, and that rarely happens to watch Colorado play Colorado State. So the September phenomenon was 
incredible. And Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter can play, and they'll play at the next level. But what Colorado doesn't have yet is an offensive and defensive line. And that caught up that with them at Stanford. They fell to four and seven. You know how people are. They they want this month's fad, and they'll move on very quickly. And they did. They've moved on. So it will be interesting to see what Deion Sanders can do this offseason to continue to generate interest in that program. I mean, I'll be honest, September was wild because I would have never guessed that a team won one game last year. They're going to end up finishing four and eight or five and seven would create that much interest in the sport. It was really good for it. And I think some of it is because we all remember Dion the player, right? He was, I, I explained him to my son like this. And my son's in seventh grade. I said, I said, Grant, imagine the best cornerback on the field that nobody can pass on. And then in the summer, he goes out and steals 30 bases. That's who Deion Sanders was as a player. It was incredible. It was cool to introduce him to a new generation of sports fans. Do we know how good a coach Deion Sanders is, really? Not yet. I would say the jury's out on that because he did surround himself with a very good staff, Sean Lewis from Kent State. Then he demotes Sean Lewis. There's a lot of I know I said earlier that Jim Harbaugh was probably the most unpredictable coach in college football. Deion might be next because he does things differently. He does things his way. Um, and the way that they have responded to losing, I mean, it's been okay. But I don't know how good of a college football coach he is. And I don't know how much staying power he has. But I know he's good for the sport to have him in that conference. And as they move to the Big 12, and you're going to have to have kind of a guide to tell you where all these schools are going to be next year. I do know that Colorado is going to be in Big 12. I do know that the Big 12 is trying to market itself a little bit differently than the SEC and the Big 10, which have all the huge big money programs, be like the AL East, basically, um, that they're going to generate some interest having Dion in the conference. How, how many recruiting classes do we give Sanders before we can really judge him as a head coach? I always give people five years, but co colleges don't. You know what I mean? It, it started with kind of use Dabo Sweeney as an example. You know, his first four years at Clemson were brutal. They got beat up by South Carolina. Uh, they were losing that rivalry. I lived down in that part of the country for a while, and that rivalry was hot. Then he starts to get his recruits in, gets a couple quarterbacks, and suddenly Clemson, it, which is arguably the second biggest program in its own state, uh, is winning national championships. So, you know. I would say five. You could argue that maybe two to three because you can change your roster so much, which Dion did, but there's volatility in that. Uh, Michigan State flipped their roster a couple years ago. They went to a Peach Bowl with Kenneth Walker III, and the next last two years were a disaster. I think it has to be a mix of recruiting, portal, winning, marketing your program. He's got the marketing part down, though, Jerry. I mean, we call him Coach Prime in every article. I think that's AP right. style now. Right. We're talking with Bill Bender, who's covering uh, college football for the Sporting News on a on a national basis. And, and Bill, what, what's your thoughts on the Heisman Trophy race? Who do you got? Well, I think there are two really good quarterbacks in the Pac-12 right now, and Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix, and they're going to play each other in a couple weeks if the Pac-12 shakes out the way that I think it might. Jaden Daniels is doing what Lamar Jackson did a few years ago. It's putting together an incredible season statistically. And now they've lost three games and you may 
hold that against him. I wouldn't. And then there's Marvin Harrison Jr. We mentioned him earlier. You heard Jim Harbaugh talk about him Monday. They said, well, who does Jim, who does Marvin Harrison Jr. remind you of? Jim Harbaugh said, well, he reminds me of his dad. Marvin Harrison, his dad, not too bad. And I think those four would be on my ballot right now. I do have a vote. My buddies like to joke around with me. The first year I did it, I I think I picked, or second year I did it, I picked Tua. Kyler Murray won it. And my buddies were like, you chose the wrong guy. And I said, it's my vote. I can choose whoever I want. Just because he doesn't win it means I'm wrong. The, when you look at Bo Nix and, and Michael Penix Jr., I, I think of, if I could use an analogy from baseball, there's a lot of people who say, well, it's too bad Mookie Betts and Mike Trout, perhaps the two best players in the game right now are on the West Coast. Th- does that hurt these these quarterbacks in this Heisman race at all? A little bit, but they're playing so efficient. Bo Nix had six touchdowns at halftime last weekend. And he's a veteran quarterback. Like you said, the transfer portal, another side effect of it is these veteran quarterbacks. Jordan Travis, before he went down at Florida State last week, I mean, he's been around the game for six years. Michael Penix, I I lost count of how many years ago it was where he was playing in Indiana. And Bo Nix, ironically, could get another shot at Alabama. But I think that experience has helped. And some of it with the COVID year, it changed the dynamics of these rosters where these experienced quarterbacks were able to go in and do these kind of things. Um, you know, the, the best quarterback I've seen in college football in probably the last 10 to 15 years was probably the Joe Burrow year. But college football has been different since 2019 because of COVID, because of the roster makeup, because of the NIL. And uh, But Burrow was the last one where my Heisman ballot took about, I logged in and then I was done. Because it was all I had to do was type his name in. What about uh, Caleb Williams at uh, at USC? What what's his year been like coming off a Heisman year the previous season? I don't want to say nightmare. That would be too strong, but it didn't go the way they wanted. Certainly, and defense was a problem. They fire Alex Grinch during the season. You know the frustration built at the Notre Dame game where they turned the ball over four or five times. And Caleb Williams was doing some uncharacteristic things because of that. You can go back to the Colorado game and you could see the signs of it then. They built this huge lead and then Colorado nearly rallies in the fourth quarter to tie the game. It's been a rough go for him. I think he's a supremely talented quarterback. I shy away from the Patrick Mahomes comparisons because it would be like comparing somebody to Tom Brady. There's only one Tom Brady. There's only one Joe Montana. There's only one Patrick Mahomes. So I'm not going to go there with him, but I do think he will end up being the number one pick. I think the personality stuff will probably get questioned more than it should because the talent is there. And some of it is USC was just not a mature program this year. They're not acting like a mature program. They're not acting like Washington and Oregon. And by that, I mean, they couldn't handle the swings and games where you need to come up with that one or two stops of those one or two plays. Other than Caleb Williams, they weren't really doing that. When you say the personality thing, is it is it the the line where it came out of his camp that he wants to be, if he's drafted or when he's drafted, he wants to become a part owner of the team? That didn't sit too well with people. Well, no, it didn't. And I, by personality, I mean, we, we pick apart everything about these quarterbacks these days. You know, they were talking about his fingernails or that GQ interview where he mentioned... You know, the, the, where when his dad mentioned that he wanted to be the part owner, 
or he wants to play for this team. And whenever you get into that conversation, it can get weird real fast. I think, I think in our experience with him, he was our player of the year last year. We recognized the talent on the field. We did a really long profile of one of his high school games where he threw that Hail Mary that kind of put him on the national scene. You talk to his high school coach, nothing but good things to say about him. They love his leadership qualities. They say he has that in him where no matter what the score is, he's going to keep fighting and try to make it happen. Didn't go his way this year. But if you look back at last year, they didn't have a good defense last year either, and he was able to propel them almost to the college football playoff. I think he's going to be an outstanding NFL quarterback. He would be the first quarterback I take in the 2024 NFL draft. I did uh, enough sports talk shows in, in my background to know not to listen to whisper campaigns. And there seems to be a whisper campaign about Arch Manning not being happy at, at Texas. Have you uh, heard anything that, that is accurate or is that just uh, the rumor mill? That's rumors for now because, I mean, if you look at his family, Peyton probably would not have played as a freshman if not for some injuries. Eli waited his turn. Archie waited his turn. So when he went to Texas, I figured, yeah, he's going to sit behind Quinn Ewers for a year. Now, if Quinn Ewers decides to return to Texas next year, this conversation might change a little bit. And this kind of ties back to what we were talking about with Caleb Williams. This quarterback class going into the draft, compared to the last two years, you're going to have Caleb Williams. You're going to have Drake May. He's outstanding, the North Carolina quarterback. You're going to have Michael Penix. You're going to have Bo Nix. They'll probably fall in that Will Levis type range where Will Levis fell last year. And you're going to have others. I mean, Shador Sanders hasn't come out. He might. J.J. McCarthy. So Quinn Ewer's value decision is, do I go in the draft and maybe be a late first-round pick? Love his arm. Hasn't stayed healthy the last two seasons. Had a couple injuries. Uh, maybe we needs to work on his accuracy a little bit. Or do you wait a year? And if he waits a year, Arch Manning, because you can just come and go in the portal. Alabama was recruiting him. Georgia was recruiting him. That would be very interesting if he jumped back in. You mentioned Georgia. Are they disrespected this year? I don't think they're disrespected. I just think it's incredible how Kirby Smart is able to convince this team that nobody believes in them outside of that building. You know, and they play the disrespect card better than anybody. And they're very good. They have played awesome the last three weeks. Two weeks ago against Ole Miss, they had over 300 yards rushing and 300 yards passing. Carson Beck has found a rhythm. Brock Bowers is healthy. They have playmakers everywhere, Jerry. And when I watched them a couple weeks ago, it was amazing. I was thinking, that's the team I watched in the spring game where they looked like a borderline NFL team. He's got them playing with an edge. And when I said earlier, I think Ohio State's the only team that can beat them, maybe Alabama can beat them too, because those are the only two teams that have the talent, the organization, and the confidence that they can play with them. When they played Michigan a couple years ago, they stomped them. So, I mean, with Michigan, it would have to be, they would have to play Georgia, get off to a fast start, and hope that they can win from there. Georgia is incredible. I think they've got the best shot to win three in a row that that it's been in my lifetime. Minnesota won three in a row in the 30s. And we're at the stage now when they lose, we'll talk about it 10 years later and be like, this is where I was when this school beat Georgia. It's been so long, I can barely remember. I was going to ask you about Alabama. You think that they might, they might 
be able to to pull the uh, pull the rabbit out of the hat, huh? Yeah, they got a chance because Jalen Milrose playing well, and they found what they have in him. It's so wild to me that a quarterback that did not play against South Florida the week after they lose to Texas. Maybe in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, he won't win it. But if they beat Georgia, he might be there. And Alabama, Nick Saban, it's just a tribute to what he's been able to do there. He continues to find ways to win. Their defense has figured things out. We were all ready to bury them after the Texas loss. And here they are, ready to play Georgia, ready to go after it. And what a game that's going to be. Because if anybody can match up, personnel-wise against Georgia, it's probably Alabama. They have a ton of four- and five-star guys on that defense. If Jalen Milrow doesn't turn the ball over, they can establish a running game. That's kind of been their weakness outside of Milrow, getting those running backs going. They'll have a chance to make that a four-quarter game. That's going to be wonderful TV, too. Here's the thing, and I've said this a couple times. The four best teams today are Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama. Problem is, they've all got they've got to play each other. And I don't think two of those teams are going to make the college football playoff because there hasn't been enough chaos around them. You you mentioned those teams, and I looked at the top 25 today, and I saw familiar names: Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama. But then as you go down the line, you see Liberty, Toledo, and James Madison. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on? You know, Liberty's had a really good year with Jamie Chadwell a coach at Coastal Carolina. They've got a quarterback named Kaiden Salter, who is in the top four in total touchdowns. They're blowing teams out. The Flames have been great. Toledo, they've got a chance to win the MAC here. They average over 200 yards rushing, 250 yards passing, that balanced offense. Beating up on my Bobcats a little bit, but that's okay. Um, and James Madison, what a story they were. And they have been. They lost last week, but they had game day on their campus they lose to the original FCS Buster in Appalachian State. It's been a wonderful year for the Dukes. I love, you know, being a graduate of a mid-American conference school, I love success stories like this. I love watching them. I lo- love seeing those campuses have that moment. And when we go to the 12-team playoff and they let one of these schools in, it's you're probably not going to win a national title. But like I said, as an Ohio alum, I can't wait for that day that if somehow the Bobcats would break into the 12-team playoff, they went to the Sweet 16 a while back when they they played Kansas in a Sweet 16 game. That felt like a national championship game to me because that was my school playing there. You know what I mean? And I think those stories are going to happen more often with the 12-team playoff. What was the story with the Virginia Attorney General threatening a lawsuit uh, because James Madison wasn't going to be able to in a bowl game, what was that all about? Well, they are not allowed in a bowl game as of now because the NCAA requires FCF schools that make the transition to the FBS a two-year waiting period before they're eligible for a conference championship game, a bowl game. They're not allowed to be in the college football playoff rankings. Some might say it's a silly rule. I think it's designed so that programs don't cut corners. They incrementally make their way up to the the FBS, but in this case, there are 40 bowl games for starters. Let them play in a bowl game. It would mean so much to them. They should be able to compete for a Sun Belt championship. And the fact that they're not is quite frankly ridiculous. So this should have been an open and shut case for the NCAA. Uh, Yeah, we're going to let them play. But now that they said no, you could have a little bit of a legal fight. You know, in this college football job this year, between Harbaugh, James Madison, and a few other things, 
I'm thinking I need to go to law school instead of watching Law and Order reruns and learn some more things because I can't keep up. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. And, and does that extend out to the Pac-12? Yeah, that was the other one. <laughs> Oregon State and Washington State with the Pac-2. And it's one of those things where I got to learn about that too. It is sad to me, honestly, that the Pac-12 is going away because it's a part of college football. You never want to see a conference do that, but all the comings and goings over the summer, it as somebody that grew up in the Rust Belt in the Midwest, it's going to take some getting used to, to staying up late and watching Ohio State play at Washington and play at Oregon or Michigan playing USC, not in the Rose Bowl, which is what I grew up watching. It's going to be a surreal year in 2024 because like I said, a lot of schools have moved on. Cal and Stanford are in the ACC. SMU's in the ACC. These are just things that if you would have put me in a time machine and said, you know, 10 years, this is going to happen. I would have told you you were out of your mind. We, we've, we've heard you mention the NIL name, image, and likeness, and we've, we've heard the, the transfer portal. Do we lay this at the doorstep of television? Yeah, I'm, TV certainly influenced it. The 12-team college football playoff influenced it. Uh, the the need to get student athletes what they deserve in some respects precipitated all this and times have changed a lot. I mean, like I said, this sport is so much different than it was when I even started covering it at Sporting News and the transfer portal. I think the transfer portal in its intention is a good thing. I don't mind players going, coming and going once. I think once you go a second time, you should probably have to set, sit a year because you're still making decisions. And then that doesn't influence the recruiting process. I've kind of, you may be able to speak on this more than me. I've kind of compared the transfer portal to MLB free agency more than NFL or NBA, because basically if you're Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, you can use the transfer portal to go shopping and fill a couple needs on your roster. I need a left tackle. Okay, I'll get this guy. I need a backup quarterback. Here he is. I need a utility player. You know what I mean? And that is what the transfer portal has created. And in some cases, most cases, honestly, the rich have gotten richer. How is that policed? How is the transfer portal policed? Can can schools contact these players or, or how does that work? You know, obviously with the transfer portal, it just, once the season's over, here in a couple weeks after the playoff parents, on Monday, it's, it's they, you have 45 days once you enter the portal to land at a school. So there are a lot of kids that don't find a home. I think that's the flaw in it. It's not policed. It's one of those things that you want this to work out for players and to create more opportunities. And in some cases that doesn't work that, that way. And I think from the writer's standpoint, we pay most attention to the quarterbacks, right? We'll pay attention to DJ Uangalele going from Clemson to Oregon state, or where does the backup for USC go? Or we just talked about Arch Manning. Those are the ones that draw the most attention when the reality is there are so many other kids that don't find a home. And I think that's something else that needs to be fixed. Does this mess up the recruiting process? It changes it. You know, we value recruiting rankings. We value seeing Georgia and Alabama and Oklahoma and Texas at the top. But I think it creates headaches for coaches. You, we were talking about Jim Harbaugh earlier. It's arguably easier to be an NFL coach, in my opinion. 
because you have to deal with free agency, the draft, your long season. In college football, you have to deal with roster management. You've got to get all these kids on campus. You've got to convince them to come to school. Then they might leave in a year because of the third string tailback. I think it's become so much harder to manage your roster. There's talks about colleges using a a quote-unquote GM of sorts because, I mean, if you're the college football coach and you're the you're the GM and you're the, you know, basically the CEO of this company, there aren't too many NFL head coaches that can be the owner, the GM, and the head coach. I think maybe Curly Lambeau could do it in the 20s, but times have changed. Yeah. Let's put a bowl on this with a two-pronged question, if if you don't mind. Coaches who might be on the hot seat and rising star coaches' names to keep an ear open for to see where where they might land. Well, I mean, Chip Kelly was on the hot seat last week. Things can change, though. He's apparently going to stay at UCLA. Lincoln Riley's going to have an interesting year next year based on everything we talked about about with Caleb Williams. Um, there aren't too many others that I can think of. Oh, well, that guy's getting fired. But as far as rising stars go, I think Mike Elko is probably going to level up from the job he did at Duke. I talked about Jeff Trailer earlier at UTSA. You mentioned Jamie Chadwell at Liberty. I don't know why a Power 5 program hasn't hired him. His offense is fun to watch. His quarterbacks always produce, and he wins a lot of football games at places like Coastal Carolina and Liberty. Somebody should hire him soon. And, um, you know, from there, it's it's the usual suspects. I think Jeff Brom deserves Coach of the Year consideration based on how many coaches can you say took Purdue to a Big Ten championship game and followed up and took Louisville to the ACC championship game. Those are basketball schools. And he's done a phenomenal job at both of them. All right. Bill Bender, you've done a a tremendous job during this conversation. I really enjoyed it. We could probably go in for another hour. You want to give a little plug to your ex uh, (laughs) where they can find you? Yeah, I'm at BillBender92 and at SportingNews.com. We have a great staff over there. I'm going to write a lot about Ohio State, Michigan, as we get into this college football playoff push this week. Rivalry week is always one of my favorite times of year. And yeah, this was fun. I, you know, we, like I said, it's the closest thing a college football, you know, sport could say that's the closest thing to the Yankees, Red Sox. If I was pointing to something, I would say it's Ohio State, Michigan. Give, give me one more rivalry game you're really interested in this week. Well, I mean, there's so many good ones. I think Washington, Washington State, and Oregon, Oregon State, for the reasons we were talking about earlier. Oregon's going to the Big Ten. Washington's going to the Big Ten. There's going to be some emotion in those stadiums. I point back to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State a couple weeks ago. Mike Gundy was 3-15 and against Oklahoma before that game. That's the only one they're going to remember because they're not going to play it for a while. Bill Bender is the... College football correspondent, national correspondent for the Sporting News. Bill, we wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving, and thank you so much for the time. Oh, thank you so much. Let's do it again soon. I appreciate you guys so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. Dave D'Agostino, the floor is yours. Oh, thanks. You guys did a great job. Bill, we want you back as much as you want to come back. Great information. I love the coaching tidbits. Uh, Jeff Trailer, uh, UNT, uh, I've got my money on him as well. And my former neighbor down here in Myrtle Beach, Jamie Chadwell, uh, he's a rising star in the business. I agree with you. He needs a power five job sooner than later. I've got one question for you, if you don't mind. Um, 
It's a college football selection question. You got one more minute for us? Absolutely. Okay. So this, I had to write it down myself. So, um, and I'm going to create the chaos that you, that you wished for to, to have more, more excitement. We, we probably agree that whoever wins this Big Ten game this weekend, Ohio State, Michigan, goes on and wins the Big Ten championship. I want to I want to give that right there as an undefeated Big Ten champion. Now the rest of it you're going to have to write down here. So let's just say Texas wins out, Alabama wins out, and beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. So you've got a one loss Texas with a championship. You have a one loss Alabama with a championship, and a one loss Georgia. Who we agree, I mean they're peaking at the right time. Nobody's better right now. Oregon avenges its loss to Washington in the championship game of the Pac-12. So they have two one-loss teams in Oregon and Washington, Oregon with a championship. Um, and you have a one-loss Big Ten team, obviously, whoever loses this weekend, and then a an undefeated Florida State team. Which, outside of the Big Ten team that goes undefeated, who are your other three? Well, the Big Ten champ goes in, so Ohio State or Michigan. Florida State, whether we like it or not, goes in, even with a backup quarterback, because they're not going to turn away a 13-0 and Power 5 champion. They would have to come up with some really creative linguistics to do that. So I'm going to say Florida State, Big Ten champ. Now it gets hard, because now I have to Alabama beats Georgia, will eliminate Georgia, will eliminate Washington. So it comes down to Texas, Alabama, Oregon. They have to stack those three teams up. I think Oregon would sit out. They shouldn't. It wouldn't be right. Texas, they have to put in because they're ahead of Alabama. They beat Alabama head-to-head. That always counts for something with the committee. And, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it when they leave the SEC champion out in that scenario. So I think Oregon would get, and Washington would probably get the short end of that scenario. Georgia would be left out. And we'd get Big Ten champ one. Versus Texas four, Florida State versus Alabama two three. Then you probably get Big Ten champ versus Alabama in the national championship game. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think the Pac twelve has been disrespected a little bit this year. Um, and watching it, a little SEC bias maybe by the committee. I'm down in the southeast, so I see it firsthand. But um, but you can't argue with back to back champions with Georgia and Alabama dominating for so long. So. Great information. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I figured if anybody could unscramble my brain with all that, it was you and you did it. I appreciate it. Now I've got arguments to hit my neighbors with tomorrow. Um, For our audience, thanks so much for tuning in again. This is going to be our lone show this week on Thanksgiving week. We will play episodes from the past, some popular episodes that you guys have requested. I put a poll out there. So the top five episodes we'll play this week. 60,000. We should hit it by Turkey Day. Thanks for your support. You know what to do after this. Keep pushing up up iHeartRadio's ranking list with their powerful podcast network and the Blackout Coffee. Let's support them. Capital David, D-A-V-I-D, with the number 20 after. it gets you 20% at checkout. Jerry Trupiano, a masterpiece as usual. We appreciate you, buddy. You do a great job here. And Bill Boyd. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Same to you and same to you. Same to you, Bill, as well. Um, Tremendous guest. We want you back anytime. You got an open invitation for the show. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving to both of you. And audience, have a good week, and we'll talk to you live next week.
sidewalk, carjacking old lady at a red light, pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store, you think it's cool, act a fool if you like, cuss out a cop, spit in his face, scope on the flag and light it up, yeah, you think it's tough, you try that in a small town, see how far you make it there.